Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Let's kick off our brand new series, Miracles in May. A lot of people asked me when I first said, oh, does, does God limit his miracles to May? No, okay? God is capable of performing a miracle in April and June, but we are going to focus on them in May. I don't know about you, but I don't believe we see enough miracles. Um, I'm all about the natural, but I'm also all about the supernatural. We don't like talking about the supernatural in church. People go, that's weird, but then we'll go to the movies and watch Harry Potter. Okay, so we've either got to decide, you know, and that's not real supernatural. God is the God of the supernatural. And so we read about them, we hear about them, but we don't experience enough of them. So we're believing that throughout the month of May, that this will be a catalyst for miracles to break out in your life. Now, I'm going to be preaching faith for the next four or five weeks. All right, so we're going to be preaching from the life of Christ, his, 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 his miracles on earth, But our key verse comes from the book of Ephesians where Paul talks to the church in Ephesus and he says, they're feeling down, he says, unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above anything you could ever imagine, guess or request in your wildest dreams. Anything means your thing. Okay, anything. A lot of us go, yeah, that's good for him or for her, but it's not good for me. Turn to the person beside you and say, God can sort out my thing. My thing, anything. Someone once asked C.S. Lewis, the great author, they said, C.S., what? what is a miracle? He came back, back at them and he says, when God does something that wouldn't have happened if he didn't do it. And that's classic C.S. Lewis, if you've, if you've read him. Just real simple, real simple scripture. When God does something that wouldn't happen if he didn't do it. And so throughout the month of May, we're going to zoom in on specific miracles that Jesus performed during his life here on earth. And today we're going to look at one of the three times that Jesus raised someone from the dead. The story of Lazarus. The story of Lazarus is described, if you're unfamiliar with it, as the greatest miracle that Jesus performed on earth. We're going to stand and we're going to read this passage. Now, it is a slightly longer story, longer passage. Guys, come on. If I can stand, preach three times today and run a marathon tomorrow, you can stand. Here we go. Come on, let's stand. There we go. All good. All right, we're good now. Okay. So we're going to read from John's Testament. And just bear with me. I'll pause along it and just bring some context if needed. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were, they were close friends. They were a, a close group. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I think that's a very strange part of the story. If you knew that your friend or family member was sick, who knows the first thing you do is get to them as quick as you can. What did Jesus do? He stayed back. We'll come back to that. And then he said to his disciple, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, 
The Jews were there trying to stone you, yet you want to go back. So Jesus, instead of going to his friend's place to pray for the sick, he goes back where the trouble is. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had begun had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been already in the tomb for four days. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. What a crass thing to say. Imagine someone had died in your family, and then another family member said, hey, if you'd have been there, they wouldn't have died. Can you imagine the pain of that moment? But I know that now that even God will give you what you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who came to this world. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. She says it again to him. Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. Then we see only the three times in scripture where Jesus shows real human emotion. And the shortest verse in the Bible, as many of you know, was Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But the Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Just to pause here, four days was very significant in in Bible times. The Jews believed after three days that the spirit would leave the body. So he was dead as dead. Dead as dead. There was no coming back. Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe it, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Interesting what the first thing Jesus does when it came to the miracle is he thanks him. We'll come back to that. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Father, bless the reading and the application of your word. Amen. You may rest your weary legs. (laughs) Lazarus could represent so many things in this room today and online. It could be a dream that you have let die. It could be a habit that you have never been able to overcome. It could be a marriage which feels like it's falling over. It could be a mountain of debt which is killing you. We all have a Lazarus in our life. We all have problems. I want to hand out some to you right now. It's a little card, the team are in the room. If you don't have one of these because you're not in the room, online we'll make sure that it's put up on a PDF on our website so you can download it. Okay, but on the front of it, it says, My Miracle in May. On the back of it, there are four short statements. I'm going to write them on my trusted whiteboard. The problem. 
Number two, the promise. Number three, the pain. Number four, the power. We're going to go on a bit of a journey today in this whole month. And this is a bit of a miracle equation that God wants to do. Because your problems plus God's promises with your pain equals God's power. Okay, so we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. And every one of us is at one of those points today. The PPPP. I won't get you to say it. The problem, the promise, the pain, and the power. I want to give you the first, the first step to you receiving your miracle because I'm standing here today believing that God is going to move in our church this month. Not just us as a church. We need financial breakthroughs, but I'm believing what you are going to write on your card. Uh, we're going to see breakthroughs. First of all is the problem. The problem in the very first, uh, the very first statement in the verse, it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. Who knows? Who knows we have a problem? One of Jesus' close friends is sick. By the way, he's not just sick, he's got hours to live. And Jesus is visibly affected by Lazarus' illness. The problem. Have you ever met anyone who loves to talk about their problems? You ever seen someone coming towards you and you know they're just bringing their problems and you just dodge out the way? You ever been in town and you see someone and you think, I'm just going to jump into that shop? Because you know if you bump into them, you're going to bump into their problems. And Mary and Martha had problems. Maybe you like talking about your problems. Has anyone ever met anyone? Not in here, obviously. Anyone ever met anyone? They loved talking about their problems. Like, yes. All right, this is your moment. Okay, we're Brits. We like to talk about our problems. Okay, this is our moment. I want you to write down your problems, okay? We don't often do this in church. If you need a pen, you don't have to do it now. You could do it when you get home or um, in the garden, okay, or on the run tomorrow. I'll probably be writing some problems down on my run tomorrow. <laughs> Come on, let, let, let's just go on Struggle Street for a second. I want you to think about, as C.S. Lewis said, a problem that you cannot solve. If you can solve it, you don't need a miracle. It's a problem that you cannot solve. Mary and Martha had a problem that they could not solve. Maybe they tried to give Lazarus medicine. Maybe they tried to give him, I don't know, some sort of ointment to try and heal him, but he was as good as dead. So what does God need to do in your life that if he didn't do, would not happen? The majority of our problems, they fit into, into five categories. Physical, financial, emotional, relational, and spiritual. One of those five areas. All of our problems will fit in, in, into one of those categories. And the challenge is, what are you believing God for today? What are you believing God for? So I want you to fill in the first box. But before you, before you fill it in, I want to give you a little disclaimer. Okay? Only fill it in if you genuinely believe it can happen. Okay? If you genuinely believe it can happen. 
We're not going to spend much time on our problems today because we've all got them, because we all need a miracle. But I want us to recognize an area of our life. It could be in your marriage. It could be financial. I know there's so much financial challenge out there right now. It could be in, a, a, in your physical body. It could be, well, I don't know what it is. Maybe you believe to sell a house. Maybe you believe to buy a house. Maybe you believe to come out of debt. I don't know what your need is or your problem is, but God does. And I want you to recognize this is an area of my life that I cannot solve. Maybe you're single. You want to get married, um, maybe you're married, you want to be single, no, 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 okay, so this is an area of your life that God needs to solve, the problem. The second step we see in this story, and the second step in our life, is the promise. It says the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick, they're playing on his emotion, not the one we love, the one you love is sick, and when he heard this, Jesus says this, he says, this sickness will not end in death. Now here's what jumped out at me. The first thing they did was give Jesus a problem. The first thing Jesus did was give them a promise. I'll say that again. The first thing we do is we give Jesus our problem. The first thing he did is give Mary and Martha a promise. For every problem in your face in life, God's word has a promise. We talked about it two or three weeks ago, about the 7,000 promises in the scriptures. 7,000. 7,000. If we sat down all day, I'm pretty sure that you couldn't come up with 7,000 problems for your life. Maybe close, but not quite 7,000. What does that mean? It means this. God is always ahead of us. God is always ahead of us. And so... If all we have in life is a problem without a promise, life is unbearable. And I meet so many people that their life is unbearable because they, the Bible says, in this world you will have trouble. So that is never going to go away. We will always have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Why? Because a promise gives us hope. And today, if all you've got on your sheet is a problem, you're going to be living without hope. Solomon put it like this. He said, life without hope makes the heart sick. I meet a lot of sick people in the world today because they're living without hope. But as followers of Jesus, we, we don't just have a, a hope for this age, we have a hope eternally. And the difference between a Christian and someone living without Christ is actually hidden in this verse. In this world, you will have trouble. Guess what? That's Christians, non-Christians. We all have trouble. But Christians get to live. Christians get to live with problems and promises. So you can choose to live your life just with problems, or you can choose to live your life with problems and promises. I know the way I want to live my life. We're always going to have trouble. God never promises there wouldn't be trouble. He promised us He would be with us in trouble, which means for every problem that you have, every problem that you have written down on your card, there is a promise attached to your problem. So I'm going to ask you this, what is the, what is the promise that God has given for you? Because maybe you've written down the problem and said, I don't have a promise. All I have is the problem. Well, the Bible is packed. 2 Peter 1, 4 says this, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These aren't just false promises, they're not empty promises, these are promises that God will fulfill. You know, often we, we refer to the Bible as a book, 
And to the natural eye, to the physical, it is a book. But this is more than a book, it is a treasure chest. Because this is full of treasure for every single one of your problems. This was my late father, Murray Norman's treasure chest. This was his Bible. I don't know if you can zoom in on this, but it is absolutely torn to shred. Because dad lived with promises. Even to the day he passed away, he was holding on to the promise. And the thing is, dad had plenty of problems, but he also had plenty of promises. And you can choose to live your life with problems, or you can live with problems and promises. And I want us to realize that our Bibles are not just there for us to grab a verse when we need one. They're actual treasures. It's an actual book of treasure. You know, if, if I said to you there was treasure in your back garden worth 100,000 100, pounds, every single one of you would probably leave now, go to B&Q, pick up a spade, and get in your garden. True story? You know, there's so much more treasure in this book. But if we see it as a book, it's just a book. But if we see it as a treasure, we will treasure it. We will treasure it. We will hold it close to our hearts. And church is not to fill you with condemnation or guilt, but church is to fill you with God's precious promises. His promises are so precious. You know, God can do anything, but there's one thing he cannot do. He cannot break a promise. He cannot break his promises. So on our little card, on our little card, I wanted to share with you five promises to help you in one of those areas, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial. Financial, maybe. This is, this is my promise, okay? This is my promise for the new building, Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. So here's, here we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Faith gap. Two plus million pounds. So what do we need? We need a promise. So what I'm going to do is every morning I've got to hold on to the promise. Why? Because the promise gives you hope. Maybe you, a physical promise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How quickly do we forget the benefits of his promises? Who forgives all your iniquities, your sins, and heals all your diseases. Who needs a healing in their physical body? What's that? Who needs a healing in their body? All right, that's your problem. Now I've just given you your promise. Who heals? All. All your diseases. Oh, that's not singular, that's plural. That's you and me, all. You see, you can choose in life to focus on your problems or the promise. We can't ignore the problems. We can't ignore the fact our bodies are sick. We can't ignore the fact there is no money in the bank. We can't ignore the breakdown in our marriage. That would be, that would be foolish. But we've got to spend our focus and our energy on the promise. Maybe you're feeling emotionally disconnected. Maybe you're struggling right now. The promise, if you're struggling with your mental health, if you're worn out, if you're tired, if you feel like giving up, the promise is come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all those who labor 
are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What about a relational promise? Maybe relationships are broken down. Maybe your heart is broken. The promise is he heals the broken hide. Psalm 147.3, and he binds up their wounds. What about a spiritual promise? What about for those who've lost loved ones in COVID, those who spiritually feel like, what, what is this life all about? Revelation 21.4 says, he wipes away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. You know, sometimes when the world gets so heavy, sometimes you've got to focus on what's eternal, the eternal promise of our future. So I want us this week, I want us to research the promise for you. I don't know what your problem is, but if there's 7,000 promises in Scripture, I can guarantee you at least one of them's for you. One of them's for you. You, you say, well, where do I find them? Google it. You Google everything else. God's promises for my debt. God's promises for divorce. God's promise for loneliness. You put it in Google, you're about 25 answers. They'll come up each time. You Google it, and then you write your promise in box number two. Okay? All you need is one promise. One promise. And you write it down. Ephesians 3.20, for our new building. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above. Paid in full. And every day, you and I, those watching online, every day we have a choice. You can focus on box one or box two. It needs to be spoken. You've got to speak out the promise. It's not just enough to write it down. Every day, we're going to set some homework today. Every day, before you, before you go to bed or when you wake up, I want you to confess, speak. You've got to confess the promises of God. Romans says, faith comes by listening. You've got to listen to yourself. You've got to speak the word of God over your problems. Romans 4.17 says, God calls things, God calls things that are not as if they were. Everything God has ever created, he called into existence. You've got to call your marriage back into existence. You've got to call your business back from the dead. You've got to call your family back to church. You've got to speak the things that are not as if they were. You've got to call out. God speaks to Abraham. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. By the way, Abraham had no children. For the next 25 years, he had no children. But God says, now, I'm going to speak it over you. Be careful what you speak over your children. Be careful. You want to watch a good movie? King Richard. What, he, what King Richard? Richard spoke over Venus and Serena Williams. Phenomenal. They were asked him on the movie. They said, when, when, when did you tell your daughters they'd be world, 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 world champion tennis players? He said, when they were in their mother's womb. When you start calling your kids little horrors and little brats, I'm telling you, you're speaking over them, over their future. You can actually speak into existence. We begin to tell our children they are champions. They are world leaders. They are going to change. You've got to speak these things into existence even though they are not. God says to Gideon, he says, you mighty man of valor. Gideon at that moment was a weakling. He was timid. God says, no, I'm going to speak into you what you're not. God says to Peter, he says, Peter, you're a rock. 
He wasn't a rock. He was a reactor. He was no rock. He was a troublemaker. But God saw something different in Peter. You've got to preach to yourself. Today is a good day. You've got to speak the promises of God over your problems. It's not enough just to have a problem. You've got to attach your promise to the problem. You know, every morning, every morning, I say the same thing over myself, the prayer of Jabez. I, took, I take Jabez's name out because I want to make it personal. Book from the book of Ezra. And John called on the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you will keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Every day, God, expand my connections, expand my borders. Father, keep me from evil, keep me from pornography, keep me from having an affair, keep me from the evil, keep me from away from addiction. God, keep me from evil. I'm speaking into existence what is not. What are you speaking into existence in your life? The problem, the problem, the promise, but now the pain. And this is where the majority of miracles, they fall away in people's lives because people are happy to recognize their problems. They're happy to Google a promise. They're even happy to confess a promise. But what happens in a season of waiting? What happens? The pain. Verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Martha, and the Jews had come along, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. One of the few times in Scripture Jesus shows he is a 100% God and he is a 100% man. He shows 100% human emotion, yet he is still the divinity of the Father. Now, Jesus, you need to understand this. Jesus was not crying in that moment because Lazarus was dying because Jesus knew the end of the story. Jesus was crying because he saw others suffering. So Jesus wasn't crying because he knew what happened. He knew what was about to happen. He was crying because he hated seeing other people in pain. Who knows sometimes the, most, the biggest torment isn't when you're in pain. It's when someone else is in pain and you want to put yourself and take that pain from them. And Jesus was in that moment. And so many miracles die in this stage because we cannot handle the pain. It's the pain of the physical pain, the mental pain, the pain of waiting, the pain of God, are you real? God, where are you? And the, the difference between where I am, which is most of us, I would say, are probably hanging around here, but we want to jump straight to the power. We want to see the power of God at work in our lives. No one wants to see the power of God more than me in our church. But the difference is where I want to be is, is, is the middle, is the middle. And the real miracle of the story here, the real miracle of your story is not actually the power of God. Just stay with me. The real miracle of the story is not what God does for me. The real miracle is what God does in me. We get so fixated on God, you need to fix me. By the way, the mess that I've caused, you need to fix. Because come on, let's be honest. So many of our problems are self-inflicted. Oh, I can't believe the way she treats me. You married her. Well, she wasn't like that when we dated. You didn't date her for long enough. 
If you hung out for a bit more, you'd have seen the real side of her. Take your time, let it breathe. Anyway, that's the marriage course. But the real miracle is in the middle. Can I still trust God with my problems even when there is nothing happening? Is anyone else in the middle? I'm in the middle right now. I've got the problem, I've got the promise, and I know God's the power. But I seem to be stuck in the pain. And I think we can all relate to Martha and Mary in this moment because they've seen the problem, they've heard the promise, but they are faced with this indescribable pain and they're in the middle. You know, Chantal was serving in our social supermarket on Thursday and she came home, I said, how was it? She says, it's just, you know, it's it so amazing to be able to serve the people and the families of our city. She said, but John, she said, there is so much pain. She said, one lady came in, she said, John, I, Chantal, she said, I, I've got to choose whether I heat my house or eat this week. Heat or eat. You know, we've had a cold, we've had a cold, a cold spell, haven't we? It's real and someone else called me this week and said, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I'm thinking, oh my word, like, the problems are real. And we know the promises of God are real, but here's the deal. It's painful. So what do we do in the middle? So much brokenness in our world. Maybe you're new to faith and maybe you're on a journey kind of discover God and kind of one of, the, one of the things people will say is why does God punish people? Why does God put pain on people? Friend, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't punish his children. A loving father would never punish their children by inflicting pain. But God will use pain. God will use some of these difficult moments we go through, these difficult seasons. And they're tests. And I think if you're in the, if you're in the middle, just another show of hands, you're still in the middle. Okay, you're still in the middle. If you're in the middle, there's kind of four tests that we all have to go through. I'm going to just fly through these really quickly because I think you might be able to identify some of the things that you're going through and hopefully it'll help you understand where you're at and where God's at in your seasons. These are kind of four tests we all have to go through when we're in the middle between the problem and the power. Number one is the first test is I think pain moves us from our needs to our knees. Pain moves you from your needs to your knees. It's interesting. It says when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, it says she came and she fell at his feet. When you are desperate, if I said to you today, if someone was trying to take your life to kill you, what's the first thing you do? You'd get down your knees. You've, we've all seen it in the movies. And you beg them, forgive me, you know, save my life, spare me. You beg. And God, God wants us to be in a position where he goes, you are fully in control of my mess. But some of us kind of do this with God, sort of half down, half up. Well, so I still want to be in control. And God says, no, what I want you to do in this season of pain, waiting for my power, is I want it to move you to your knees. Because at the end of you is this beginning of God. And right at the end of your own strength, he says, in our weakness, he is strong. And because of what God's done in me, he will now be able to do more through me. So God wants us to move to our knees. And at the start of this year, I've never shared this before, but I felt it was right today. I, I always like to ask God, I say, God, what, I don't just want to have another year. I say, God, what do you want me to do different this year? And that can be emotionally, physically, spiritually. I always, always want to try and you know, 
improve. I felt God say, he said, I want you to humble yourself before me every morning on your knees. Let me tell you, it's humbling. Because it's like you're basically going, it's a posture. David says, I will come and bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. And some of you, you're at a place where I'm not going to do that. The problem is things might not change because you're basically saying to God, God, I am desperate for you to move with my mom. I'm desperate for you to move with my children. It's a posture where God moves you from your needs to your knees. And I want us as a church in May, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I really want to help you that maybe before you go to sleep, before you head into work, to literally find a place to kneel and just lift up your hands and say, God, today I humble every meeting. I humble myself before you and I cannot get through another day without you. And I think in that moment, something begins to shift inside of us where we go from self-reliant to God-reliant. I think problems halt our egos like nothing else. I think problems show us we're not bulletproof. And problems also show us that none of us are superheroes. And God actually likes that. He likes us to acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. So the first part in this season of pain is to acknowledge him. The second second step in this season of pain is, and I'm going to be quite honest and open here, but God wants us to be reliant on God, not substances. I'll say that again. God wants us fully reliant on him, not substances. So often in seasons of pain, and we've seen it with COVID, we've seen it in our world post-COVID, the need to desensitize. And it could be through many, many different ways. Over the last 12 months with job losses, with isolation, so many people have turned to substance and substance abuse. I've never had so many meetings in my office with people who cannot stop drinking. And it is ruining people's marriages. It is ruining, I have had children in my office saying, if my daddy could just stop hitting me. If my daddy would just stop drinking, things would be normal again in the home. And it is destroying families. It's destroying churches. I would not have spoken like this two years ago, but I want to say our stance as a church, we will never promote, encourage, celebrate alcohol. And it is not because I want to be legalist. It's because I am seeing the damage it is doing in people's lives. I am seeing the destruction like never before. And I know so many of you, you have been on the other side of it. You've been on the receiving end of it. And it is one of the enemy's secret weapons. Secret weapons. You know, you can't get hooked on something you don't use. You can't get hooked on something you don't use. And this is not anti-alcohol, this is anti-the enemy. Because the enemy is so conniving. He is so clever and he gets in in the small ways. And suddenly one becomes five and suddenly there is a problem. And suddenly there's a breakdown in relationships. And I want to challenge us. If you're getting burnt, stay away from the fire. 
I say that again, someone needs to hear this. If you're getting burnt, stay away from the fire. Surrender it to Jesus. God, I surrender. Whether it's an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, whatever addiction it is, whatever substance you're using to numb the pain from the problems and the pain you're feeling today, surrender it to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I need you to come in and help me. Jesus says, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul was speaking, he says, but when you are tempted, when the pain becomes so much that you want to turn to a substance to numb the pain, he says, I will give you a way out. I will give you a way out. God will always give you a way out of the challenges that you face. As a church, we run in a keys to freedom course. We've been inundated with people who say, I need help. I need support in this area. And I want to encourage you, if you need support to break free from an addiction, if you need to to break free, I'll tell you if you need to break free. If you can't sleep at night without having a drink, you need help. You need help. And as a church, we want to offer you that help. We want to offer you that support. Because that's what church does. It says, hey, we can see the challenges, the needs in our city, in our town, but we want to offer support. And so Keys to Freedom will help you. It'll help you break free from whatever is holding you back. Did you receive that from the heart it was said from? No. Molds and shapes our character. Step three, molds and shapes our character. In this moment of intense pain, loss, Martha's character was being shaped. You know, nothing shapes, nothing shapes your character more than pain. Who would agree that you've learned more about yourself in seasons of pain, more about others you also know who your friends are when you're in pain. Okay, you know, who, you know who's really with you in the seasons of pain. When we left the UK to move to South Africa in 2008, I learned, that, I learned this in this season of pain, that God was my source. Some of you, you've learned that, that God is your source. When you're down to nothing, you learn that God was your source. When I lost my dad 12 years ago this month, I learned that God is my comfort. When, I, when we moved back to the UK, we didn't have a church, we didn't have a job, we didn't have anything, we learned that God was faithful. And some of you, when you look back on what happened in your life, when, when, when I look back on Chantelle's life and in that season of abuse that she went through, she learned that God is still her Abba Father. And so it's in the season of pain we learn so much. And the fourth thing that happens in that season is we magnifies, it magnifies the fourth step in pain, is it magnifies that God is real. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe in you that sent me. Wow. In that moment, God said, Jesus says, he says to, he says to the people around me, hey, I'm not doing this just for Lazarus' benefit. I'm doing this for the people around because I want them to see the mighty work. Do you know, I think one of the greatest testimonies in our lives is not just that God does miracles, it's that we stay standing in the middle. The fact that you are still here, Samite, today is evidence that God is real. Because you're in the middle, but you're still here. And it's evidence that God is still real. One of the greatest evidences that God is real is you refuse to give up. You refuse to give up on faith. You refuse to give up on the things around you. And I want to encourage you, do not let the pain, the middle, 
don't let it beat you today. We can keep going together because someone else needs to hear your story. Someone else needs to hear your story. And they don't just need to hear the story, the big stuff at the end. They need to hear the fact that you stuck at it. You stuck in the marriage when every council and everyone else told you to give up. But you said, no, God gave me a promise that he was going to keep us together. And I'm going to stand on the promise. And I'm going to stay in the middle, even though the middle is a mess right now. I'm going to hold fast in the middle. And every voice was screaming at you, take your life, take your life. You're not good enough. A little, a little voice in the background said, hold on, hang in there. We can get through together. God is the God of the middle. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega, but He is still the God in the middle. Your miracle is in the middle. And if you can stay in the middle, you could magnify God. Come on, is anyone in the middle right now? Come on, is there anyone who says right now, I'm in the middle of my miracle? Come on, come on, let's stand. If you're in the middle right now, if you're in the middle and it feels messy, if it feels painful, if the problems are real, if you're saying, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle. God is in the middle with you. His promise is, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. What do we do when we're in the middle? We worship. We praise. We thank Him. We thank Him. For the first thing Jesus did when He went to His Father, He says, I thank you. I thank you. Come on, we need some middle worshippers. We need some middle people who say, God, I'm in the middle. I feel stuck, but I'm going to keep praising you. Come on, let's begin to lift up our hands right now. Come on, this is where the breakthrough comes. You can't, you can't fast track the middle. You can't fast track what God wants to do in you as He shapes you, as He molds you, as He proves Himself real to you and to others through it. Come on, He's in the middle right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. We worship you, God. Amen. I believe that as we worship, as we hold fast in the middle, it unleashes the power of God. We've got to choose this week where we focus on our problems. And I know the needs are great. I know that there's people with cancer in this room. I know that there's abuse in this room. I know that there's all sorts online. There's all sorts of problems, but we've got to make a decision today. Our focus is on the promise and we will not lead. We are going to hang fast in the middle. It says in verse 44, it says, And Lazarus, came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes. And Jesus told them, he says, unwrap him and let him go. Now, Jesus doesn't just want to raise you up. He wants to release you. We'll say that again. Jesus doesn't just want to raise you. He wants to release you. He wants to release people today. I believe as, as, you, as you speak the word, the atmosphere changes. The atmosphere in this place has changed because we confess the word. But it, God doesn't want to just raise you up today. He wants to release you. Okay? So what are you all wrapped up in? Lazarus was wrapped up in grave clothes. But maybe you're wrapped up in intimidation. Maybe you're wrapped up in fear or worry or others' opinions. I want to encourage you today. God wants to release you. And God wants to raise you. He wants to raise your faith and He wants to release you to be everything that He's called you to be. So we're going to do two, two things here. Number one, you're saying, God, today, my faith needs to be raised, my faith level. 
It needs to be raised. I've been so focused on my problems. I've been so fixated on all the problems around me. But today I'm making a decision. My focus is going to be fully, fully fixed on the promise. Okay, where are you? Where are you focused? That's me. Okay, you know, come on. We're promise. We're promise focused. My God shall supply every single one of my needs according to His riches in glory. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power amongst the people. Come on, there is power right now. I pray that you would raise people up. Lord, I speak faith. I speak blessing, Father God. I pray, Father, we would speak the things that are not as if they were. We speak life into dead things, into dead dreams, into dead business situations, into dead homes, Father. We speak life by the power of Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now God wants to release people. God wants to release people from addictions. God wants to release people from substance abuse. God wants to release you from stuff. You don't have to live with any of that garbage. God wants you to live in complete freedom. He says who the Son sets free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. My kids, they wanted to watch Braveheart this week. I'm like, no, you're too young. But at the end, William Wallace, as he's laying there, I'm not getting into the politics of Braveheart, all right? But I think we all agree it's a pretty amazing movie. I'm not sure it's factual, but we'll just go with it. Right at the end, William Wallace lets out his final word. And he says, to go out. I'm not sure where he went. He went somewhere. I declare freedom. Come on, if you need freedom from addictions, come on, if you need freedom from substance, if you need freedom right now, if you're saying, I'm not going to live another night, I don't want to be reliant on that. Come on, there is freedom today. Freedom. God wants to speak freedom over you. Lift up your hands right now. Thank you, Lord. I speak freedom over every family, over every father, over every mother. Freedom right now. Freedom is only found in you, Father. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom over every marriage, Father God. Freedom over every abusive situation. Freedom, Father, by the power of the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Freedom over young people, Father God. Freedom over their minds. Freedom over darkness. Jesus, over my family. Come on. Now, there's two ways we can wait in the middle. You can passively wait in fear or you can actively wait in faith. There's only two ways you can do this. For May, I'm committed. I'm going to actively wait in faith. All right? You're in the middle. Confess the Word of God. Confess it. There is a promise for your problem. And there's only really, there's four outcomes this month. Four outcomes. Every one of us is four outcomes. In this series, one of four things, or all of four things will happen. Number one, the first thing will be nothing. Nothing. You'll just accept your circumstances, accept where your problems are, and that's it. That's okay. Second thing, you'll begin your miracle journey. You'll begin. So today, this is the start of your miracle journey. You've recognized your problem, and you fill in your promise, and you go on the journey. Thirdly, You'll recognize that you're in the middle and you're going to refuse to give up. 
So for some of you today, you're at one and you're now at three. You're saying, you know what? I'm not going to give up. Actually, I'm not going to give up on that dream. Actually, I'm not going to give up. Actually, God can help me pay my bills this month. Actually, God is a supernatural God. And so you're actually going to go, actually, I'm in the middle, but I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm just in the middle, which means I'm a step closer than I was yesterday, which means the power of God could move at any moment because I'm expecting for the miracle. And the fourth group you fall in is you receive your miracle. Sure, I have nothing. Start the journey. You're not going to give up or you're going to receive it. The problem plus the promise through the pain equals the power. That's the equation for the month. So God, we thank you. You still do miracles today. And as we go on a journey of faith and discovery, this month, Father, I pray, Lord, that for some of us, we're just on the start and it's just going to kickstart. And it might happen in days, weeks, months. But today we're, we're going to start the journey of God, you can. For others, Father, we are caught in the middle. And we've been so despondent and discouraged by the fact nothing's happened. But today we recognize that you want us fully, fully reliant on you. And you want to move us from our needs to our knees. Father, you want us to be reliant on you, not on any substance. Father, you want us to lean on, on you. Father, you're going to build our character. And Father, we wait in expectancy for the power of God. So Father, your children here down here in Norwich, we're up for this month. So just show off. Show off, God. Just do your thing. We're ready. We're ready for an outbreak of the supernatural, for an outbreak of miracles, Father. We are not defined by the laws of science, the laws of nature, the laws of sickness. We are not defined by any of those laws. We are under a greater law, which is your word and your promises. We thank you, Father God. By your stripes, we are healed. We thank you that you're our provider. We thank you that you're our healer. We thank you that you are our restorer. We thank you that all things work together for good. We speak faith into the atmosphere of our homes faith into the atmosphere of schools and universities, Father. We stand expected for God to move. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, faith's moving. Faith's moving already. God's stirring it up. Come on, faith has to be heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Matt and Sarah, there's a miracle on the way this month. You got a miracle. You're going to have a miracle in May. In Jesus' name. A miracle in May. Come on. What the enemy meant for evil, God is turning around for good in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every business. Just lift up your hand if you're a business owner. Small or large, you're a business owner. The news isn't good, but God's good news has never changed. The good news of the Word of God has never changed. And Father... He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. My God in Him will I 
trust. Father, we thank you. Our trust right now is in you. Our trust is not in the economy. Our trust is not in the news. Our trust is in you. And so you are going to protect us from the clouds and the storms around us, Father. I speak increase in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, my Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. Lazarus. Miracles, come out. Lazarus, come out. Come on, you say it. Lazarus, come out. Come out. Come on, miracles, break out. Break out. Hallelujah. Come on, let's declare it. We're going to close up because time is way gone and your roast dinner is roasted properly. You come to Soul Church, you need the slow, slow cooker. Hey, you never fast track what God's doing. In that moment, I believe that miracles are breaking out. I don't just want to come to church to tick a box to say I've been to church. I want an encounter with Jesus. I haven't driven all the way here today to go, I've been to church. I've driven here today to say, I've been with Jesus. God spoke to me. I've got some tools to put into my life this week. I'm not coming here to mess around. I'm not coming here to play. I'm not coming here to perform. I've come here to meet with Jesus. Hey, if you've you've never ever invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never ever had a true encounter with him, you can encounter Jesus today. I'm not going to prolong this, but friend, he loves you. He's got a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for your life. But you weren't designed to go through life on your own. And I want right now, I want everyone who's listening to ask yourself this question, question. Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Do I have a personal relationship? Not, was I, did I grow up in church? Not, does my friend know Jesus? Not, does my dad and mum, do I know Jesus? And if you don't, today you can begin that relationship. He loves you, friend. I'm going to simply count to three. If you say to me, yeah, John, that's me. I want to begin a relationship. I want, to, I want the promise of my sins forgiven. I want the promise of eternal life. Here's what I want you to do all over this room. Just to slip up your hand when I get to three and say, John, just include me in that prayer. I'm not here to embarrass you, but I want to include you in this prayer. Every Christian right now, this is a moment for us to quietly pray. Pray that people give courage and confidence to slip up their hand and say yes to Jesus. One, two, three. Just slip it up nice and high. Say, include me. God bless you. Beautiful. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Say that to me. God bless you right at the back. Good on you. Fantastic. God bless you. We're going to say this prayer out loud and maybe you're responding online at home. This is your moment too. You can just maybe signal, put an emoji in the chat, do something to say, hey, yes, today I'm responding to Jesus. Father God, just repeat at me, Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Right now, I acknowledge you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Give me a brand new start so I can live for you. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you put your hands together? Congratulate everyone who said that prayer in the room and online.
We want to give you a gift. It's a New Testament experience. And it really is the next step from today. And we want to give you this book because it's not a book, remember? It's a treasure chest. It's got the 7,000 promises you're going to need to work out all the stuff outside of these walls, problems. So we want to take, take the Bible and uh, start this journey together of faith. So that's going to be fantastic. Our team will be out there in the foyer. If you're online, make sure you let someone know. And uh, this is a great decision that you've, you've made today. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.